Got time for a quick story. Bill Champlin has one of the best voices, I think, in pop rock music, especially as a backing vocalist or a harmonic vocalist. I should say harmony vocalist is what I'm trying to say. You look on a lot of credits in the latter part of the 70s, getting into the 1980s, and he's everywhere. You'll see Bill Champlin in the liner notes a lot. And me being a liner note person and me loving to know about the background session musicians and such, you, you, you really get perked up when you see a name get repeated over and over and over again. And especially when you connect, connect that name to someone you already know. Bill Champlin, of course, was in Chicago throughout the bulk of the 80s through the 90s, throughout the bulk of the 2000s, sang lead on songs like Heart Habit to Break and Will You Still Love Me? Of course, Look Away, number one hit, I Don't Want to Live Without Your Love, among many other songs, of course, with, with Chicago. So I already knew his voice. I already knew of him as a member of Chicago. And then you start to discover, whoa. He's done a heck of a lot more. He's doing an event as, a, as of the taping of this on February 7th of 2022. He's got an event coming up in Dayton, Ohio, that I learned about called We Will Yacht You. It's an event, especially with uh, Frankie Previtt, who I've interviewed on this podcast uh, several times before. From Frankie and the Knockouts wrote some of the songs involved with uh, Dirty Dancing, co-wrote some of those songs. Uh, and I got the opportunity to talk to Bill Champlin. This is an honor. To get to talk to a guy whose whose sound, whose voice, whose tone has is, is one of the better ones that I've heard in all of pop music. Um, this is my interview with Bill Champlin, and um, here here it is. Bill Champlin going to be part of the uh, We Will Yacht You event coming up. Now, this is going to be in, down in Dayton, Ohio, uh, coming up on the yeah. 12th. Um, among other things happening, and there's also this new song that I just saw posted literally the other day, but I want to start with We Will Yacht You. How did you get associated with that event with uh, Frankie Previtt and company? Uh, uh, a guy named Ken, uh, the strangest name, it's Ken, Kennington or Ken Kenjamin. <laughs> called me uh and he's really a great guy he said hey you want to do this thing i said well it sounds like it could be fun and uh you know they he's and then jeff uh uh i forget jeff's last name the the lead singer and a radio guy who who's in the band stranger who's a, the band's going to be playing and uh along with frankie it's going to be fun I, th- I think it's gonna it's a little different than my usual thing Tamara and i are going in on thursday and we're going to rehearse all day friday cool Get that get that kind of going, and uh, and we're gonna do some stuff by ourselves, and then some stuff with the band, and uh, and then Frankie's gonna hit, and his stuff is great. It's, yeah. it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. Of course, you see the you see the word yacht in there, so immediately the thought goes right to yacht rock. Um, Who came up with yacht rock? Was was that from that internet series back in like the later two thousands? I think. It's not it's something they, like that. I know there's a band called Yacht Rock in, in Atlanta that that play a lot of, you know, 80s and 90s music. And they're, they're when they back up a, a, a singer, they get the they get the band dead perfect. I mean, they're really, really great. Uh, they're, you know, they're like samplers, you know, they, yeah. they make it sound like it's like it sound on the record. Yeah. And uh, they're really good guys, good players. I mean, that's the first time I ever heard Yacht Rock. And then. Now all of a sudden it's everywhere. It's like, well, yacht rock. I don't really have a yacht. I don't even have a rowboat. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I know. It, it was like I think it was a pejorative for a while, and now it's kind of twisted back around towards just being like this general descriptor, which I, I and I know you did an interview with Inside Music Cast a, a few years ago, and I know they're yeah. really fo- honed in on was they term it. I think it's probably a more accurate term, West Coast pop. West Coast, yeah, West Coast music is that's kind of what it's been known as in Japan and in Scandinavia and Germany, and you know West Coast is like a, a total category over there. Right. How? Not that I particularly like categories. I mean, uh, some of my records were considered really great West Coast records. Some of the earlier ones that I did with David Foster, who's mm-hmm. who's a West Coast star at some level, but. Uh, and then suddenly it was Yacht Rock. I was going, well, okay, I guess, you know, they've been calling it all, you know, in order to kind of categorize music, they call it all sorts of things. Musicians don't particularly want to be categorized. Right. You know? No. They but don't it's like- just, you know, but we realized we are. <laughs> so right. there you have it. Yeah. yeah. And if you get associated with it and it gets on a run, you can go with that. Um, yeah. I was listening through Runaway over the past few days, and I, I see why it's why that's kind of considered a, like a, a prime example. I mean, it's got you look through the liner notes, the sound, etc. But you had and and again, that's one style you've done. You've done obviously plenty of styles throughout your career. Yeah, yeah I've been involved in really. I, right. I kind of started off as an R and B musician. If anything, I started off as a blues singer. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to sing the blues, like you know, and I did just kind of my first song that I wrote were blueses and stuff. And, and then I kind of got bored with it and started moving up musically into other stuff. And it was kind of cool. I mean, the only blues I ever really recorded was the TV theme for In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a, that was a classic. <laughs> There's your blues. Yeah. You right well, oh, who's your favorite blues artist? Well, there's a handful of them. But uh, uh, I think right now, in terms of guitar players, Eric Gales kills me. He's a major piece of work. I was just looking on Facebook yesterday, and it was uh, – Gary Moore's birthday, and they showed us a live thing of Gary Moore playing. He passed away a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing singer and guitar player. I mean, we just sort of missed him. He, he kind, yeah. of, kind of came and went a little too quick. There's been some really great ones. I mean, I always liked uh, Little Milton was one of my favorite singers. And a guy named ZZ Hill, believe it or not, was one of, also one of my favorite blues mm-hmm. singers. And I think ZZ Top kind of got their name from that. Mm. That would yeah, so that would be oh, they're they're well, they were a blues, right. basically a blues band to start yeah. with. That was that was what their whole scene was. But yeah, uh, exactly. There's some good singers. There's a lot of you know. I mean, I got uh, X, you know XM Sirius Radio, and I, they got a blues the Bluesville channel on there. And it doesn't, there's a lot of singers that don't really knock me out that much. You know, really blues singing is a whole other whole other world. That's why I love Milton. Milton was such a great singer, good guitar player, but he was really a great singer. There's a lot of guitar players that play great guitar that don't sing all that well you know i mean i, th- mm-hmm. I thought bonamassa for a while was a little left to center but man he's changed up he's he's singing great these days mm-hmm. he's kind of owns the owns the blues world right now well on that point of how he's evolved blues seems so endemic to like your soul your being you gotta know it or live it or something can can some how effective can someone learn the blues or is it like you, you've got it or you almost have it but if you don't you don't how do you, how have you discovered it you know I, th- I think what it is is that it's probably the first place where if you're if you're growing up to be a musician and stuff like that it's the first thing where you can kind of put your heart into it because it's kind of simple i mean basically it's sort of simple so you you can i mean you can lend you know you it, it can feel a little bit better and then 
I think there's something, a, a producer that I used to work with, a guy named Mike Stewart, produced Billy Joel's first couple of albums. And, and Mike always said, the first thing to go to tape is who you are and how you feel. And then, then time, intonation, all the, you know, enunciation, all the, all the, the little, you know, scoop book learning stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But really it's kind of how you are and you know, who you are and how you feel. I think that a lot of singers, there are a lot of singers out there. I mean, Stevie Wonder is anything but a blues singer, but God, you can feel every note he sings. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's kind of the thing about blues is that it's not really challenging on the, on the, the instrumental level. Uh, so that you can just feel the singer. You know, that's why B.B. King was so great. I love his guitar playing, but my God, that guy sings. He, he used to sing so good, yeah. you know, and when he was alive, not so much anymore. Yeah, uh, great guy. I played with him one time really, when I was younger. And uh, I learned more about the shuffle in that one set, you know, playing with his drummer, Sonny Freeman at the time. I learned more about shuffles than, I, than I'd ever known up to that point. Really? I mean, there's, there's a certain something that happens when you when you know what you're doing in that scene so i mean it's like anything else if you're good at it it's great (laughs) who who are some of the best um best people who've been able to translate that feel into the pop realm over time just about anybody you know i mean uh uh, huey lewis and the news really took took r&b and blues and really did wonders with it uh, the band is the, that band is one of the best bands around. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of bands that have done that. I think Aerosmith pretty much started off as a blues band. If you, if, if you start digging, I mean, Led Zeppelin was was mm-hmm. really connecting crazily to uh, to Delta stuff. I mean, yeah. Jimmy Page really really fell for the whole Delta thing. So I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, Rolling Stones is probably one of the best blues bands on the earth. Yeah. That's true. Think about it. That's what they do. They they got a little they got a little poppy at some points, and have gone a different directions. But, but you know, amazingly great. And I used to think Mick Jagger was a, kind of a bad singer, and then I, lately I listened to him. I went, this guy's great. <laughs> <laughs> He's really cool. There's something really cool about it because he puts his all into it. There's something really cool about that. Well, and his voice has held up really well. Over. He's apparently, from what I understand, he's a real healthy guy. Runs like five miles a day. He's really been, he's been really healthy. I mean, skinny little runt, you know. But uh, <laughs> which may be one of the reasons he's as healthy as he is, you know. But uh, and I, he had just had some heart problems. I think just about a, uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago. And whatever it was, he fixed it. He's back on the road making noise. Well, and you've been singing also for decades. How do you keep your voice going after all these decades? Somebody said, hey, what do you warm up with? I said, the first song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, years ago, I never really paid much attention to it. There's a couple of ways of looking at singing, the way I look at it. is there's, And there's there were some coaches. There's a coach that's worked around Los Angeles for years. He worked with Stevie, worked with Michael Jackson, a guy named Seth Riggs. He's a great, great coach who knows this instrument as good as good as anybody, you know, he's really, a, a, he kind of approaches it as dealing it with dealing with it as an instrument. Now there was another woman, she passed away a few years back, but she was a coach, but she really was more of a psychologist. She said, she always said, everybody's born to sing somehow along the line, you're kind of taught not to, mm. you know, and I just bring you back to being what you were born to do, you know? So, so let's, let's pull out your song. Here's the song why don't you try feeling what it is rather than working on your notes and, and then let the song, let the song sing itself through you. And it was kind of a cool thing. I I was kind of did that approach, you know I mean? It's just, if it, you know, I I sing because I want to, 
you know? Mm-hmm. Although I was rehearsing the other day and I listened to myself and I went, I didn't want to. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't slamming too hard. <laughs> I went, uh, well, maybe I better do some warm ups, some, you know, Ming Mongs or some of these things that, that uh, I mean, David Foster always used to have us go Ming Mong, Ming, Ma Ya Ya, Ming Mong, Ming, you know, it's something he heard. He he learned it from Ella Fitzgerald, believe it or not. Hmm. She said, here's my warm up. And so he did it with every session with every singer that was in the in the oh, studio. Really? Sounds a lot like a uh, choir warm ups that I that I do here just in, in choirs. I sing. It sounds like the same sort of thing, but that's how we get our voices going as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I find yeah. that I mean, there's there's the instrument and then there's the heart. And right. I think the heart is probably more of the vocal instrument than the than the vocal cords in some ways, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've discovered the same thing, even even in something as larger as is that the ones where you start to get the 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 emotion the feel and you get beyond just the page it always yeah. gets better inherently yeah. it gets better yeah it just you, you, i mean i'm when i was in choir in high school we we had a teacher that did he went we went nuts we were doing prokofiev we were doing stravinsky we were doing charles ives you know mm-hmm. no you know no bar lines okay. <laughs> it's one one time you know no key signature Ugh. yeah really nice. and uh and he was and, and but at some points of the game you get something that really feels good. It's one thing that I really liked about doing sessions is you get to the tag of a song, get to the end of a song and it runs by, you run the chorus by five, six times. Mm-hmm. I used to like singing with the girls or whoever I was singing with. I mean, I had a handful of groups when I was doing sessions and one of them was like me, Michael McDonald, Bobby Kimball. And then there's me, Tom Kelly and Bobby Kimball, me, Tom Kelly and uh, Carmen Grillo, a handful of really good singers. Mm-hmm. And we'd always have, a, and then the girls were Carmen Twilly and her, and, uh, Vanette Cloud, they were great singers. Carmen still works a lot. And uh, and uh, we would, uh, we basically just uh, uh, just keep singing the, the, the tag to the point where the, everything's turning purple, you know? And I kind of dug that because you just get to where you were further into it. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you sing it once and fly it. Yeah. Just you know, copy, paste, 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 paste. Pop it over to the next chorus. And you never really get that 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 last one before the fade. It's just got a little, there's a little edge on it. Everybody's got a little crank voices or something. It's just, it's always feels really cool. Yeah. Take that and fly it, you know? Right. That would, gosh, but they never get the chance to do that. And I notice that in pop music all the time. Like I'm, I'm listening for an artist where I can tell that even like the lead vocalist that they sing the second verse, like you can tell, Hey, wait a minute. I think they're singing this a little bit different and it jumps out nowadays because so much sounds identical like, oh, they did this and then they repeated it 26 times through the rest of the song. Yeah. Well, I think the only, the, you know, I, I, it's funny. I went to, uh, I went to, a, I was doing a session, I think for, for Giorgio Moroder, who was, we were doing a Donna Summer date. It was the Wanderer album. We were doing pretty much the whole album. And, uh, and almost every song on it was two words. And almost every chorus were, was that title, you know, word, word, two words and stuff. But I went in one day. I said, hey, man, you know, if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't for having to do these words, you, you could just fly. You could just use, you know, uh, computers to do this. And he says and he looked at me in all seriousness. He said, we're working on it. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Giorgio. He's mm-hmm. really an amazing musician, an amazing producer. It, when, when in those days when he was slamming. Yeah. I mean, he did all the music for uh, uh, Scarface and you know I mean mm-hmm. he was one of the real first big synthesizer guys oh, I know and I was just listening to him on the new Duran Duran album had a couple of collaborations on that one that came out October so I mean yeah. still going 
He's still kicking. Yeah. And the guy who was the guy I work with who was with him was Harold Faltemeyer, who oh, did all the gosh. music for uh, Beverly Hills Cop and Fletch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at first, as you said, these are kind of cheesy tracks. And then you listen to him closer and go, this is really well done, it's, you know, for the time for what's going on with synths. And, I mean, people say, well, the synthesizer was kind of a big thing over for a period of time. I said, well, you look at EDM right now. It's nothing but synthesizers. So it's still that whole thing is still kicking like a mule. And I, I would say Georgia is one of the guys that's always been on the front edge of that. Yeah. On the topic of sessions, what was your favorite session to work on? Oh, God, there's too many to count. But, uh, <laughs> wow, hard to say. Uh, I really like doing the Amy Grant records. Mm. We, I did a handful of backgrounds on the on the early Amy Grant stuff. you know. The, uh, and then there, there, those were really good records. Uh, in terms of groups, I went in with David Lasley and Luther Vandross on some Boz Skaggs record on oh. a Middleman album. Mm. And singing with Luther was like, God, what that was, how cool was that, you know? great singer i mean we, i really miss him I and mean, he was one of the most effortless most in tune one of the one of the best singers one of the funniest guys i've ever hung with and him and david and david just uh, david was had the had the greatest falsetto of anybody on the earth and he just passed away about six months ago they're dropping like flies out there you i know? know i know middleman now that was the one that was right before luther's first solo album am i yeah. am i right this yeah. one that I'd like. Um, David brought him out from New York, and Luther yeah. was, you know, and, and he, and it's, you know, even after he was a giant star, every once in a while, David and some other cats would be in it doing a commercial, just to, you know, drive Fords or drink coffee or whatever, you know, and Luther sneak in the back door and grab a chart and sing with them. Huh. And almost every time, the producer would go, "Hey, can I get a step out from that guy?" <laughs> no, <laughs> he was just going in to keep his reading, his sight singing chops up. Really. And he wanted to hang with a gang, you know what I mean? Just, you know, if you listen to most of his music, there's a lot of background stuff on it. And, you know, it's just he's just bringing in all the cats he made all the did all the sessions with before because he knows he could he could count them guys and girls. I mean, some of the stuff is some of his uh, his uh, some of his live stuff was insane. Great. Really background vocal heavy. I mean, and, and they did it well. Yeah, absolutely. I've noticed that in a lot of even sub, stuff we play here in the studio. But I know Luther Vandross say, saying backing vocals on you can tell. He was involved, yeah. that he was charting that out or assisting you. It comes through in the song like, okay, yep, that's Luther Vandross one for sure. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. He's, he's, he sticks through like crazy. He was, uh, I think he was on that, We Are Family. Yeah. He was on the backgrounds of that. You could hear him in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, "He said, man, I made more money off of Wrigley's gum than I did off my first album. <laughs> it's because you, there's nothing like a roller coaster ride. There's nothing like the flavor of juicy fruit gum. Here, I just I'm pushing them, you know, the Wrigley's, <laughs> like they don't have enough, right? But uh, and and I was whenever I heard that, I didn't know Luther or anything. Whenever I heard that commercial, I went, man, this guy sings. I wonder who <laughs> this guy is. And kaboom, same thing happened with." Uh, Patty Austin, she made more money on Rio Needy than she did on uh, uh, Come to Me with uh, with uh, that duet she did with uh, James Ingram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speak, speaking of backing sessions, and I know you've talked about the the session that ultimately led you to collaborate and get in with Chicago is the Angelo record, and I've been looking online to try to find that record. I cannot find it. Where fantasy records? Somebody showed me the cover. Yeah, it was a, it was an album I did with him a couple of years before he, he called me, and I guess I just left him my phone number. 
And uh, and I remember I was working on the Rit album at that time, right. the uh, Lee Rittenauer album. And I'd been up all night singing backgrounds and just, you know, I was shot in a long drive from Glendale to home and, and got in, got in really late. He called me about nine o'clock in the morning was, and my voice was very white. Hello, baby. <laughs> you know? yeah. That morning pipes. <laughs> and he said, hey, can I get you to, to come sing backgrounds on this thing? Danny Serafin's producing. I don't have any money. Can I just ask you to do it? And I and I said, you know, I immediately, I immediately got caught cold. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Angelo, I really got a bad cold. He said, you know, well, Pete said the same thing, but he's coming anyway. So Pete, who's Pete? He said Peter Cetera, and I went. Well, if he's singing, I'm there. So we went in and sang together. And uh, and I remember when we went, we we kind of very quietly sort of do do dot out of a a background chart on this song. And went out to the, you know, in the booth. Nobody really heard us that much. So you do this and I'll do that. And we just kind of head charted it. They went out and sang it for real. And the, and the Danny and the and the engineer were just, their their jaws were on the floor. They were going, whoa, let's <laughs> dig this blend. How cool is that? And I think that was sort of got, got Danny thinking, hmm, this might be a cool guy to have in there. And then, so I kind of got in the band and then he called and he said, what do you think? What do you think of David Foster? I said, I just finished doing a, the Runaway album with David. And I said, he's totally great, but I think you're going to probably end up having to toss a lot of stuff that you're working on and start re, start writing anew because I think he's got a little better eyeball on it. So David and Jim Panko started writing some stuff together. David and me, I've always written stuff together. Uh, uh, and David and Peter's just, you know, they started nailing it big time. Yeah. And on that was the 16 album. So and so everybody said, well, David brought Bill Champlin in. That was the, kind of the other way around. <laughs> there was there was a song you uh, you had mentioned also that I think was it you and David? I can't quite remember what, what pairing, but written to submit to Lionel Richie for ultimately what would have been canceled down. James Carmichael's like, yeah, not not less like two R and B for us. And then what did it evolve into something on Chicago 16? Am I getting my no, it was story? Actually- David and Lionel started a song called Please Hold On. Okay. And Lionel just did the verses. It's just do-do-do-do-do. It had a cool melody on it. Really, really cool. And then at the at the chorus, he kind of had, please hold on, blah, 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 blah. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So he kind of had a little bit of an eyeball on it. And David gave me the cassette. And I listened to it. I, and I finished writing it. David said, well, Lionel's producer just said, this is too black for you. For this for this record, what we're doing because it was right on the heels of all that Kenny Rogers stuff that he was doing, mm-hmm. and they wanted to they, they had a crossover. They wanted to keep it crossover. So, and I understand the I understand where the where the Carmichael was at, where he, you know that he <laughs> as a producer it was probably a really good producer call just to try to get as much sales as they could, which they did. It was a monster, big album, <laughs> and uh, so they handed that one to me. And he, he said, "Oh, it's it's too uh, it's too black for you." I know just the guy and he handed it. David gave it to me and we put it on the Chicago 17 album. And to this day, people go, where'd that come from? <laughs> What's mm. that about? And it was me and David and actually me and David and Lionel ended up writing. writing gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's the story. Cool. Um, yeah. What On the topic of West Coast pop again, how would you best, how would you best define that genre? I think how that genre started was, when Steely Dan started going from uh, 
you know, uh, wheels turn and round and round and, and you know, the Ricky don't lose that number. There wasn't much. They were they were musical. God, yes, were they were musical, but they weren't really stepping. And at some point, I think it was maybe the Royal Scam record or uh, at some point they were still doing quite well being putting some education into the ballgame. And I think a lot of the musicians around town who were also songwriters, Jay Graydon, David Foster, these guys were both session guys completely, but they're both songwriters. And they started going, okay, let's go that way. Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, Ali Willis, all those, the writers on the Earth, Wind and Fire stuff, they started going that way. And everybody started going, we have pop and we know what pop is, but we're going to throw some R&B in and we're going to throw some actually, maybe not even jazz, maybe even classical or maybe even just a tad of jazz in there, just to flavor it a little bit mm -hmm. and kind of open up a new place to go because it's just like everything else. I mean, the, you should you should have heard radio right before the Beatles. It was useless. Mm -hmm. There was nothing going on. Sugar Shack. Remember that? <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, yummy, yummy, yeah. yummy. I got love in my... T I mean, give me a break. It was just so fun, so kind of useless. And along came something, good writers, and along came this whole British invasion and there was just good songs that were coming out. And it just took took what the existing thing that was going on, took it, just knocked it out of the ballpark and went that way. And I think West Coast in a lot of ways did the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just, well, enough, enough of the stock pop and the glam and everything. And, and, you know, like, for instance, Toto, they brought in, you know, with Luke in the band, they brought in some some metal, some really hard guitar stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, da -da -da, a lot of stuff like that involved in their records. So it, it, it was kind of a really cool crossover. And then, of course, because it was categorized and a name put on it, you had to you had to play everything like that. Yeah. So I think I think West Coast, at least in Sweden and maybe even in Japan, West Coast is don't put too much R&B in. Don't do this. Don't do that. It doesn't sound like those original West Coast records. So it, it kind of West Coast opened it up. But the minute it was categorized, don't open it any further. Yeah, because we got it here. This is marketable. We can sell it. So I mean, uh, yeah, it's sort of, you know, yeah. Anytime there's a, a slowdown in the music scene, it's usually A and R. <laughs> yeah, two most dangerous letters in the record business. Mm -hmm. If which is, I mean, this leads me to the other thing, which is there's so little commerce now that a lot of people are just making their own records. Why? Because they love doing it. You know, and uh, you know, say, why don't you just put out a single? It just makes more financial sense. I like making records. I mean, one of the beautiful things about Sgt. Pepper was the sequencing of one song to the next. God, it was perfect. And it just set set it up to where it was just like a great meal. You know, it just really was cool. And and I, I just always love that. You know, sequencing a record to me is just just the most fun to do. And I just I just made an album and I just did it because I had to. You know, it'd been it'd been 12 years since my last solo album. I just made a it's called Living for Love mm -hmm. and it's on uh, it's on uh, Imagine Records. So it's it's available at iTunes. It's available, at, I guess, Spotify. It's the theme for the Joe Rogan show. No, not really. Anyway, <laughs> oh, I don't know what that's all about. God, give us all a break. You know, enough yeah. of this. Wow. Is there any news that, mean, that means anything to anybody? Mm, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, so the. Uh, uh, so, you know, and I think that a lot of times if somebody's putting out an album now and they're doing it themselves, I mean, I think Mike, Michael McDonald even just did an album. I don't think he's on a big label. I think he's kind of doing it himself. Yeah. And uh, and I know Kenny, Kenny Loggins is kind of the same thing. These are great musicians that, you know, uh, 
big labels, Universal and stuff like that. They're just so focused on whatever their latest big, big hit is. You know, if it's Lady Gaga this week, it'll be somebody else next week. And, and they're all good artists and everything, but there's not enough room, especially with the with the uh, the 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 money changing hands mm -hmm. ain't what it used to be. You oh. know, the commerce, the commerce is kind of gone in a lot of ways, at least from what I can see. So, so I know the record companies are making money. I don't know how. Yeah, some way they're staying afloat. I'm not sure, but uh, it's happening, and uh, record companies yeah. are making lots of money. Well, I mean, you know, if you drive down the street, you used to see warehouse records and tower records and licorice pizza, and it was just it was it was a really going concern. And, and musicians actually had a way of making enough money. I mean, now it's just there's really so so little. Uh, uh, there's very little uh, point of purchase. There's no such thing anymore. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, it is, know, it is a shame. It, so, um, I mean, anybody, anybody who's stay, if anybody was staying into it for commerce is pretty much out of it at this point <laughs> in the game. If you're in it, you're in it because you love it, and that's all there is to it. Well, you loved it enough, like you said, to, to do the album, and it's now been out in the public for a little over a year. How do you, year, yeah, yeah how, how do you look back on that now with the whole 12 plus months of that and people's reactions what how do you set how does it sit with you now well i mean that album i kind of really put a lot of my heart and soul into it i just i just lost a son i you know right before this a couple of years before this happened i had a real major major bout with uh cancer during that time and it just sort of changed my uh changed my outlook on the world in a lot of ways on on what i see and how i see it and and just your viewpoint changes just as you get older your viewpoint changes. you don't have to have all that stuff happen to you but it did it happened to me and i was and it just made me there's some a couple songs on there that are really personal and really kind of deep and i just read somewhere and it says if it's not personal it's not art mm. and i kind of went well i'm going to try at least for this album i'm going to try digging in and seeing if i can get some themes that reoccur that without being you know, blatant, you know, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at hiding stuff if I need to. And, uh, you know, politics are uh, not even so much the politics, but the way politics is depicted at this point of the game is just, you know, uh, everybody's pointing the finger at everybody else saying they're bad. Mm -hmm. It's not good for us. It's not good for any, mm -hmm. for any culture yeah. to be that way. So, I mean, I've, and I, I've, I've, do there's one song on there that's a little bit like that uh so i mean there's some pretty pretty cool stuff in there and i got great players on it and the opening song uh i was a, a really really good friend of mine and co-writer on my previous solo album which was 12 years before that uh it was george hawkins a bass player and george was on this one bruce geich is an old friend of mine and co-writer bruce sent me a a track that just smoked and both tamara and i jumped on it right away it's the opening track of the song it's called reason to believe and I just called, I said, is that George on bass? And Bruce, or I texted him and Bruce said, yeah. So who's playing drums? This is Vinny, Vinny Caliuta. Mm -hmm. And I was going, well, all righty then. <laughs> I'm keeping this one. So, I mean, there's a handful of people. Lenny uh, Lenny Castro played through the whole record. I got really good uh, good stuff from different people in, in the in the album. Jason Sheff actually said I did a duet with Jason, the mm -hmm. song that we'd written. And I was doing the album and I went, hey, what what, what about show me? What do you say? You know, you mind me putting on the record? He said, go for it. So we came over and we kind of cleaned up the vocals and did stuff. I did most of the work here because, I mean, I, there's only so many diners, drive-ins and dives you can watch. And you might as well just go to the Pro Tools rig and go to work. You know, yeah. so I did a lot of guitar playing, but I brought in a lot of guys. 
Carmen played a solo. Tal Morris from San Francisco area played a solo. Mark Russo did some horns on two or three songs and just tore it up. And Mark Mark plays sax with Doobie Brothers, mm. and was originally in the in the uh, the original Yellow Jackets. Oh yeah, it's a major. It's a major piece of work. Yeah. And he played with the Sons for a little while. We're really old pals, and I just called him. I said, "Can you stack this this track?" And uh, Greg Matheson is a song that that he and I wrote together and Greg just wrote up a quick chart and he just did baritone, one berry, two tenors and two altos and stacked it up big time. And, uh, and you know, I, I brought in guys that love it mm-hmm. and, and, and girls and Tamara's Tamara's all over the record. She's singing backgrounds and uh, she's, she's tears it up. She's a major, major singer, major songwriter. She and I co-wrote probably half the record. Yeah, what, what's the essence of her musicianship? What does she bring to your material? She just brings when she sings, it's it's you know, there's just been this such a uh, all the girl singers these days are all Minnie Mouse. You know, they're all kind of, you know, I want to be sex kitten. You know what I mean? And and Tamara just hits it. I mean, she kind of grew up listening to uh, really good singers, Gladys and, you know, uh, great singers, you know, and uh, she really kind of knows her way around it. She did some jazz for a long time. So she's pretty well-rounded musician in a lot of ways sings when she sings you you drop everything and listen it's just one of those people that has that kind of pipes mm-hmm. and and uh, and then somewhere along the line she actually she and bruce guide started writing stuff together and uh and you know one song after another with great tunes i was going whoa this girl's writing really well and kind of let her kind of have her have her move out doing what i was doing most of them just being on the road with chicago and uh and she just you know, grew into a really good songwriter. So, I mean, when it came, all of a sudden, before the my solo album, we did a record with Gary Falcone, who's a real good friend of mine, great guitar player, great singer. And uh, and he and Tamara and I were starting to write for that record. And the next thing you knew, we had Wonderground, which was me and Tamara and Gary. So so that's a really good album also. I mean, I, I, I was so involved in my solo album. I didn't listen to that one for almost a year. Then I put it on. I went, holy shit, this is great. <laughs> this is a good piece of music, you know. So, uh, I, I mean, right now I'm kind of just coming out of the, the, the slump that I'm usually in after I've finished an album. Usually the only music I want to hear is jingles on the television. You know, I don't want to, because I, I got to, otherwise I'll just go in and start making the same record over and over again. I've done that. It's out of my system. Got to find another, another band. It'll always end up being me, but I got to find another way to do it to just to keep myself interested. Well, I mean, I've got the, I've got the attention span of a gnat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of know the feeling too. I'm a little bit the same way as, <laughs> you know, as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, man, I, man, this, this is great. This is good chorus. This is good verses. Something's got to change here. So I'm known for writing bridges that go all over the place, you know, that, that are cool bridges. And, and the challenge is to get back to the, to the song, you know, the hook, you know. Well, no, okay, okay. So then there's this new one. At least new release came out the other day. It's kind of, it kind of comes out of left field, and I see Tennington Park. You and Mickey Thomas. I'm like, yeah. What? How? How did? What? What? And how did that happen? Well, Mickey and I have known each other for years. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, he when he first, I mean, I think one of the first gigs he had, live gigs he had, was with Elvin Bishop. Remember, mm-hmm. fooled around yep. the bell, and that's where Mickey first mm-hmm. kind of came out of where he grew up. And uh, came out to California and started working with Elvin. The next thing you know, he was playing, singing with Starship. And, you know, the rest is history for him. One of the best singers on the earth. Just a screamer. He's a great singer. Sweet guy. One of my, you know, and and John Zaka, who produced it, who's part of this Tennington Park, 
John just just put us put the two of us together. I said it wasn't really didn't have to go too far to to put me and Mickey together. I mean, you know, when Mickey heard I was going to do it, and we both of us liked the song. I mean, AWV's version was good, but I was kind of an Isley Brothers freak, and so was Mickey. <laughs> Mickey, well, AWV's version is good, but Isley's kind of hit it pretty hard. You know, I mean, anything Ronnie Isley sings is forget about it. He's mm-hmm. as good as it gets. Dig this. Everybody says, oh, man, we've got this many records and this many hits. Isley Brothers have had number one hits in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, had a number one record in 2003. How's that? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, it's, and it's all based on that one singer, really. Ronnie Isley is just so great. He's just one of the all-time greats. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how much he's singing these days, but God, what a great singer. I know there was a new song that uh, they, the Isley Brothers put out a few months ago, so we played a little clip of it here on, on our station. So I know they're they're doing something. I'm not sure all what, but good. they good. still got something going on. Um, oh, man, that, that guy can sing Time News and Weather and make it make it kick. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's just one of those guys. Yeah. There's a handful of singers out there that I still – I mean, I was driving with Tamara, and Lord knows I've heard the song a million times. Stevie Wonder's version of uh, uh, We Can Work It Out, the mm-hmm. Beatles song. I was driving along. We were in Santa Barbara going to the grocery store or something. And I was driving along and all of a sudden it got to the tag and Stevie started letting it fly. And I was jumping. I was almost running into the car in front of me. and I was freaking out so hard. Tamara said, pull over. So I pulled over to the side and put it to a parking place. She said, let's just wait here because you're going too crazy. She was going, <laughs> it's so cool to see a guy this old who's been around this long that excited over, over a performance, especially of somebody else, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it's just Stevie, forget about it. He's just a major piece of work. Yeah. What's exciting you be- besides hearing more Stevie Wonder songs? What's exciting you now? What's starting to inspire you next? What have you got any projects coming down the road? Well, my kid's doing some stuff. It's, it's actually kind of hit some rap things, and he's doing some stuff. Uh, it's kind of politically oriented, and uh, and I'm I'm cool with that. I'm probably get his ass canceled, but it's probably I'm probably cool with that. He's saying some pretty cool things, and I and I'm. I mean, he's he was a monster when he was 15 years old. So we put him in Berkeley College of Music, got him in, in Berkeley. He was actually, he, he got married, you know, got married and had a kid, beautiful little girl. And uh, and he at one point when she was little, very little, he, he actually got on The Voice and got into the finals of The Voice. Mm-hmm. And because uh, he sings his brains out, you know, but he's also a really great producer, great programmer, great arranger great guitar player great drummer great bass player just you name it he does it you know he's just one of these guys that's and uh he's getting into some pretty pretty screamingly great lyrics now you know a lot of it's kind of rappy and that's never been my real favorite music at some level but you know i keep telling him that's great but put a section where you're singing because you're a damn good singer you know it's crazy to not do that you know but you know who listens to their dad Fair point. That's somebody said, Hey man, he's a, you know, it's a, you know, the acorn doesn't fall from the tree. I said, let me tell you about acorn. What it is is you learn as much as you can from your uncle so you can show off to your dad. And that's kind of the way, the way I want your kids, you know, Will's anything but a kid anymore. So he just does what he does. And I'm a big fan. I just love what he does. So he's, he kind of knocks me out. There's a lot of, there's a lot of music out there that, that gets me. I mean, people would be very surprised. I mean, I love fallout boy. They're, they're great. That singer's got U.S. Steel stamped on his throat. You know what I mean? That guy's got power for oh. days and just goes one song. And I saw a live show and uh, it certainly didn't sound like he overdubbed any of it. I could, I could, I was looking for 
for you know signs of lip syncing no way yeah he just brings it to you know brings it and brings it hard he's a great singer and there's you know i mean foo fighters a great rock band i mean there's a lot of stuff out there that's really really good you don't hear about as you know at least in our age group you just don't hear about it that much but it's kicking like a mule foo fighters are on a tour they're gonna they're, they're gonna bring it right back to the top you know they took a break for a while they needed a break yeah yeah. We're getting close to Valentine's Day when we're doing this interview, so I figure I might as well ask you, what's the, uh, what is the best love song you have ever written, in your opinion? Oh, my goodness. Probably Time Will Bring You Love. It's a song on the, on the last Suns album. Uh, Chris Bond produced it. We just did a, an acoustic guitar, and uh, it went from a string quartet to a to a 50 piece orchestra by the end of the tune. It was just really beautifully put. And I think the song, the song title and, and just the nature of the nature of the tune is really pretty cool. Mm. You know, I yeah. still perform it sometimes. I kind of stopped doing it for a while because it was my older son's favorite song. So every time I, every time I sang it, I kind mm. of broke up and you know, started losing it. And I don't want to do that, you know, yeah. I mean, I miss him terribly, but I don't want to have to be thinking about him while I'm working, while I'm on yeah. a gig. You know? Understandable. Yeah. Well, yeah. there is a gig coming up and that's, uh, we will yacht you. Um, if you had to point, but uh, to someone to say, this is the, this is maybe the primo example, like high quality, best distilled version, or if there's a couple of either of Yacht Rock, West Coast Pop, however one terms it, that. What would you say is like the best example of that in in any music, be it a song or an album like or what? Yacht rock? Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of people that are kind of that are kind of being sort of dumped into that into that category. Michael McDonald. I mean, anything he does is is he writes such great songs. He's just amazingly great singer. Kenny Loggins, I think, is kind of lumped into that into that thing. Uh, Kenny is probably one of the top five singers in the world. And still, I mean, I've heard him sing lately. He's just man, just ridiculous. He's in a, he's a friend of mine. Both those guys are good friends of mine. And uh, it's funny we were listening to the radio the other day, and "What a Fool Believes" came on, and that's the one that took us out of out of the song of the year uh, when we were we were up for it with "After the Love Is Gone." Mm-hmm. And uh, and and they they took at it rightfully so they they walked away with it but it was close it was actually vote wise I understand it was pretty close we were twenty votes away but uh, uh, the uh, there's you know there's a handful of people Ambrosia some of the Ambrosia stuff that's in there really really good and and the, that band's still playing and they're playing great mm. David Pack the the singer and and some one of the writers in that band kind of on his own does his own thing and he's a kick I mean there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good people out there, and I don't think a, a lot of people don't really know about it. Frankie. I didn't really know that much about Frankie, but you know when I heard that he'd written that song that that Medley and Warns did for uh, Dirty Dancing, you know I've, I've had the time of my life. So, what a great tune! And then I realized he wrote Hungry Eyes. I mean, this guy's a this guy's a killer writer, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know it's going to be kind of fun hanging with him. I think Tamara's going to sing uh, the time of my life with him because usually it brings his wife, but I think she's had, having surgery on her on her knees maybe she something something came down oh. uh, it's kind of hard to do it from a hotel bed i'm gonna do my parts on zoom <laughs> <laughs> could be a bit maybe of a not, challenge honey. Yeah, no and probably no well <laughs> maybe not well all in all it'll be a great night there glad that you're doing that and who knows we'll maybe see you do more of those bill champlin thank you so much for for doing that and you just mentioned um what a fool believes and then of course after the love is gone i just before we stop i'll say those 
one obviously that you wrote and then the other one just so happened to be two of those songs. If they come on the radio or I hear them, I'm like, stop, listen to the whole thing, especially after The Love Is Gone. Those are probably two of the first songs I remember hearing in real time as a kid because I was born I was born in 78. So those were yeah. two of the first I remember my parents had on the radio. To this day, if I hear After, after The Love Is Gone was written in 78. Right. And that, that's right in that formative time for my for my music. And so every mm-hmm. time we've, we played here in the station, I got to listen through the whole thing. So, my gosh, thanks for helping to write that song. That's, that's oh, cool. Yeah. That's, you know, there's a version on on Jay Graydon's Airplay for the Planet. But David played piano mm-hmm. on it. And Jay, Jay, I think, did guitar. Uh, he did this whole wire choir beginning on it. And I, I sang the lead on it. That is, I think, the penultimate version. If you can find it, it'll knock you out. I'm going to give that one. Jay Jay Graydon's Airplay for the Planet. All right. It's a good album. I'm going to go give that one a listen. Bill, thanks for taking time to to chat about this. Great, Luke. Thanks for having me. And I wish wish I could see you down there. How how are things in Wisconsin? Everything kind of settled down? Actually kind of is. Yeah, it's it's not that bad. Um, I think the Packer fans around here are are mostly, I'm I'm a Viking fan, so I'm I'm an oddball. But most of the Packer fans around here, I think, are... Getting over losing a, another playoff game. That's the they really they really thought they had it. Yeah, and you know, hey, their quarterbacks are probably the best thing going in the whole NFL at this point in the game. He's really good, and I'm not sure if he's going to be back. They may they may go their separate ways. So it's, I don't know. I mean, I hate to see somebody taken out of you know who's really put together a great team and is being part of a great team and everything like that being taken out because he didn't get a shot. You know, I mean, come on, give me a break. Yeah, it's, it, there's, all, there's all sorts of... Is anybody sick of this crap? <laughs> I've had enough. I think, I think we're even, we're getting over that too. So I think we're going to be in good, in line for a good spring and summer around here. So now we just... I hope so. Yeah, I know. California's still kind of locked down. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta show your, uh, your, your vax thing to get in a restaurant. You've got to show your vax, mm. you know, your vax uh, passport, your ID, you're firstborn, you're, you know, <laughs> everything. So wait a minute. Would you like to know my, you know, dress sizes, shoe sizes? What do you What do you want next? Yeah, you know? we, we don't quite have that much going on around here. So uh, we're a little more lenient up here in Wisconsin. But uh, but Good. we're all we're all keeping it safe and keeping it keeping going along. And I, I think we're going to come out of this. And I think we'll be in Great, good shape. Luke, man, I'm, I'm glad to hear, I'm glad to hear somebody's nice and positive about it because it's, yeah. it's i mean in california it's pretty nutty it's gone left anyway yeah. so listen man thank you for having me and uh they said i'd like you and they were right <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad they said that i'm glad i looked up to that so thank you bill this yeah. is really awesome all the best and uh, hope to see you further down the road great be good see you soon you too take care bye-bye bye-bye fun chat there with bill champlin yeah, he's done a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Again, look at his discography. Look through liner notes. He's all over the place. All over the place. That was an honor of a chat to get to talk to Bill Champlin there. Um, if you want to learn more about what he's doing, you'll want to, well, go to his website, which is BillChamplin.com. Simple as that. See all that he's doing. I mentioned the uh, We Will Yacht You event coming up in uh, Dayton, Ohio, a few days after this recording. If you're listening afterwards, maybe there will be another similar event at some point uh, down the road. Um, But yeah, Bill Champlin's activity. Learn what he's doing. BillChamplin.com. 
social media posts as well, so you can uh, see some of his musical activities. This has been the latest edition of the Got Time for a Quick Story podcast. Thanks, as always, to Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio. We play a lot of the songs that, that uh, Bill has been involved with, a whole lot, um, for providing the facilities uh, to do these interviews. Uh, thanks to um, Kenjamin, who was referenced in the uh, in this chat, uh, for helping to facilitate this particular interview. Um, you can find this podcast at a lot of the usual podcast locations. Got time for a quick story. Also go on YouTube, Greatest Hits 98.1 on YouTube, and watch this interview. We did this via Zoom, so you can uh, watch the interview with uh, with Bill Champlin. Um, again, subscribe to Got Time for a Quick Story. Uh, that will tell you about upcoming episodes as they as they arrive and rate it up because you do that hopefully word spreads around a little bit more about this got time for a quick story i'm luke anthony